T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Miss something from the Todd Feinberg Show? Listen to the podcast on WTIC.com slash podcast. Yes, indeed. Thursday. This is my last shift until January 2nd. So you get a little break from me. I get to rest up, read some new things, talk to some new people plan some new strategies. One of the things we're focusing on is learning about the American system or government. Liberty-based system, which no party really stands for anymore. The idea of liberty. Because what people don't get about that word liberty, what it what it's code for is small government. You can't have big government and be free people. And we can see that. Connecticut is uh, is a focal point for the inconsistency there because if they take all your money and keep uh, wasting that money using it for their own political gain meanwhile you're running around struggling to get by well that's not freedom freedom is you keep the money you earn here to talk to us about it is robert trezinski he's a senior fellow at the atlas society the atlas society i assume it's called that because of the study of ayn rand remember her absolutely yeah because yeah, of Atlas Shrugged, right? Because of Atlas Shrugged. And the idea of, you know, the Atlases, uh, in, in Greek mythology, Atlas is the, the giant who holds the world on his shoulders. And the Atlas Shrugged was about the, the people who hold the world on their shoulders, the, the people who actually go out and do the work and build things and make things happen, as opposed to the bureaucrats who, you know, first erect, erect barriers to get in their way, all sorts of regulations and controls. And then when you actually manage to create something anyway, they come along and they they tax you and they take away the money you created. Yes. So it, it really was her defense of the people who actually go out and get things done as against the, the bureaucrats and the regulators and the, the sort of do-gooder um, uh, 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 activists who, who, who want to go in and, and interfere with that. So uh, in Connecticut, we have an acute problem with this. Connecticut is sort of uh, the, the Cuba of the United States. And I've, I feel like um, I've given up now on trying to help Republicans get elected because, one, they don't win, and two, they don't win because they won't stand up for, for the American system of government. So I want to create my own party to do that, and we're having conversations with people like you so you can clarify what the issues are. What is it that most people don't understand about the values that uh, America is supposed to be built on, the the, the Ayn Rand objectivist kind of outlook. Well, Ayn Rand was known as an arch individualist, and I think what we need to really reclaim is that individualist perspective. 
And my greatest disappointment, by the way, with, with today's conservatives is they have turned against very openly against individuals. Uh, now, we expect that from the left because the left has, you know, uh, the, the big conflict, ideological conflict of the 20th century was individualism versus collectivism. And with the sort of socialist version of collectivism, where society as a whole and the, you know, the, the, the good of the workers or the proletariat or whatever, it takes precedence over your rights as an individual. And of course, in America, we've always had a system where you know, individual rights was the foundation of our whole system of government. You know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they have inalienable rights which, can, which can't be violated by government. But the left adopted this view, you know, of well, the collective has a, you know, the 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 good of the people as a whole takes precedence over your rights as an individual. Yes. The government shouldn't be in the business of protecting that. It should be, it should be, it can violate your rights. But what happened, what's happened, especially in the last, you know, few years, I think, under the sort of nationalist conservative movement, is that they have said, you know, we're against individualism too. They've come up with something called common good capitalism. And it's this idea that, you no, know, we also are in favor of the idea that government should be regulating you and, and, and violating your rights in order to preserve the greater good, which they interpret as being more traditionalist and religious rather than socialist. But they've adopted the same idea that, you know, the, of turning against the, the original American system of being based on individual rights. But isn't this really based on the fact I mean, the, the reason that the founders created the system they did was because they knew it was if you created a pot of gold and put it a thousand miles away and assigned people the job of protecting it, that they weren't going to protect it. They were going to use it for their own purposes. It's inherent to the notion of government power that it's going to be abused. And the idea of the American system was to put the protections in place to make sure that the rights of individuals to not be plundered by their government would be protected. We have a, a unique, that document you mentioned and yeah. that you quoted is one of the most remarkable things. The idea that government would have the job of protecting the rights of its own citizens goes against everything government has always done. Yeah, and it's, it's the idea that you know, when we created the Constitution, the, the, the foremost concern of the founders when they drafted the Constitution was we need to create a government that's effective at protecting us. But then we need to protect us from the government, right? So we're going to put two things in place at once. We're going to create a government, but we're then going to put all sorts of checks and balances and all sorts of controls, and we're going to try to balance the ambition of one faction against the ambition of another faction in order to protect us against the, you know, the government's there to protect us, but then we need to be protected against it. Yes, and, 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 and they showed very little faith that government could be trusted. They were basically saying yeah. we're creating a monster here. And we need to put safeguards in place to make sure the monster doesn't come and get us. Yeah, well, you know, there's been a lot of discussion recently about democracy and, you know, the protecting democracy and all that sort of thing. And, you know, democracy is an ambiguous word. It can mean, you know, as the old saying goes, it, it can mean you know, uh, two wolves and a sheep voting on what they have for dinner. Uh, or, or my favorite version, two, two men, three men on a, uh, two men on a desert island voting to cook and eat the third. Mm. Um, but, it, you know, democracy can also mean giving power to the people against their leaders to protect them against, you know, a, a faction taking over the government and, and, and being able to use it for their own ends. So the idea is that you, you, you have to be able to vote out your leaders when, when they become obnoxious or when they, when they violate and, and trample on your rights and, and become a, a threat to your freedom. So you know, I think we need to preserve democracy in that second sense of 
you know, the people have the ultimate say and have the ability to protect themselves against a, a government that becomes uh, 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 overbearing and, and uh, oversteps its bounds. I think the biggest problem they have, that we have, though, today, though, is, is, is that lots of people are willing to vote for a government that will become excessively large and violate people's rights if they think it's going to do the things they like. And, well, in uh, other words, pe- people have gotten used to government being transactional, that it will make deals with them and give them stuff in exchange for uh, permissiveness on the part of voters, right? But, well, but go ahead. Well, I also think that, though, there, I was mentioned that individualism is the foundation of the American system. I think one thing that people have not grasped, and I think was is something that Ayn Rand in particular added on this, was that individualism also means a regard for self-interest, for rational self-interest, for your right to live in order to pursue your own happiness. You know, the pursuit of happiness was written in, right in there, the Declaration of Independence. But oftentimes, you know, uh, the, basically, uh, since that was written, a, an anti-individualist morality, uh, an, uh, which she described as the morality of altruism. Now, people think of altruism as just being nice to other people, helping other people, when it was originally coined, the idea of altruism was, it was literally meant otherism. It meant you have no right to live for yourself. You have no right to enjoy anything. You, your entire life should be devoted to sacrificing for the sake of others. And this was um, developed by a guy named Auguste Comte, a French philosopher, who was also one of the people who sort of was the inventors of socialism. So altruism was a socialist philosophy from the beginning. And what he meant by it was, like I said, not just being nice to other people or helping other people. He meant the idea there are no individual rights, and there's no individual right to be happy or to pursue your own happiness. Um, and I think that was what leads to people sort of being bullied morally into voting for uh, all the for big government and all these all these um, infringements on on the rights and freedoms of of the individual. Because the idea is that well, who are you? To claim your freedom, you should be out there, you know, your freedom should be sacrificed for the greater good of the whole. And this is that socialist version of altruism that I think has pervaded everything. And, and people have, have sort of been cowed into the idea that I don't have a right to stand up for my right to pursue my own happiness. And that's, that's something that Ayn Rand was a huge critique of that moral viewpoint and a defender of, of what you call rational self-interest, the idea that, you know, uh, your self-interest consists of going out and being productive and and, and 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 improving your own life and achieving and pursuing your own happiness, uh, and that our system should be built around that. We're talking to Robert Trzinski from the Atlas Society about Ayn Rand, about American liberty, about what um, the American system of government calls for. We'll talk more about it coming up. Stay with us on WTIC. It's the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. WTIC, we're talking political philosophy here with a guy who's been studying it and thinking about it for 25 years, Robert Trzinski from the Atlas Society, which is an offshoot of the philosophy of Ayn Rand. What is it in your experience that people don't get if you could implant some kind of understanding of how government should work into the minds of americans what would it be well i think it's it's two things first of all the crucial importance of the independent thinker you know the person who's going out there making his own decisions being creative doing something that's not approved of 
uh, ahead of time by a bureaucrat somewhere. And it's a hugely important thing in America that we've always been a nation of innovators, of people going out and doing new things that nobody's ever done before, and uh, having our own views and, and, and our own independent ideas about how we want to live our lives, as opposed to you know getting clearance for everything from a bureaucrat or being propagandized by a bureaucrat. The well, second I, thing I would say is... is I'm sorry, go ahead with the second, yes. Yeah, the second point I was going to make about was that point about altruism, about the importance of your pursuit of happiness as being, you know, the, a, a, a morally acceptable purpose of your life. That you know, you you are allowed to make your own decisions and, and choose what's best for your own happiness. It's necessary, is it not? I mean, the whole idea of having a market-based society is that by each of us going out and pursuing our own goals. Our, our own happiness, as it were, that what we're doing is keeping power in the hands of the market, in the hands of the people who need those things that are going to be created by the marketplace. So they're voting every day. We vote every day the way we spend our money for what kind of world we want to have, what kind of food we want at the grocery store, what we want to eat at restaurants, what we want in our stores. And if you assign that to somebody who's disconnected from all of the supply chains and the, um, the efforts that go into creating the ability of the society to generate those things that people want, we've seen through COVID, it's been a great period of time for us to see what happens when the bureaucrats stick their noses in, tell us what to do, create these grand decrees about how our freedom should be taken away and the damage that gets done. Well, I also think that, you know, that the connection between markets and freedom and between individual choice and freedom, that you can also see that in the marketplace for ideas, right? That people are also making decisions about what kind of, you know, books they want to read, what kind of movies they want to watch, uh, and all sorts of individual decisions about their education. I, I think one of the most crucial things that, that uh, I, it's a hopeful sign I've seen progress on it in the last year or so, especially in response to the school lockdowns from COVID, is a greater interest in school choice and allowing people to, you know, choose private schools that will reflect their values and reflect their decisions and, and their educational philosophy of what kind of what kind of education they want their kids to get. I think we need to really embrace that idea of that marketplace of ideas that people are free to decide, you know, what pronouns they want to use or not use and uh, what 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 kind of culture they want to produce and, and what kind of education they want their kids to have, all that sort of thing. Yeah, this and, idea and, of having a, a, um, a democratic electoral system, the idea of that is that we don't want the uh, brain-dead son of the guy who's been ruling for 40 years to automatically become the ruler. We want to pick the ruler <laughs> because we want to make sure that there is some kind of cause and effect in who's leading the country or a state or what have you. And the idea that that this is not all of the same mind, that the the idea that we need, yes, we need to choose everything in our society. That has to do with rulers. That has to do with what color the cars are that we buy and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm also of the opinion that, you know, there's an old saying that uh, uh, we're in the position right now where government is so big it almost doesn't matter who runs it because it's so big. There's such a bureaucracy that it will nothing, not not much that much will change depending on who's in the White House. And I want uh, the 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 ideal I like is a government that's so small it doesn't matter who's in charge of it. 
because it doesn't yes, have that big of impact on the rest of our lives, right? Robert Cherzinski is our guest. Yes, that's true. And we, what the the sad thing that seems to be happening is that government is so unresponsive to the desires of the people that there's a certain level of frustration and confusion that we're told we have this society that's hyper responsive and yet we get no response when we cry out and say something needs change well i actually disagree i i think the problem is that that the government is hugely responsible to responsive to the people and then that what that means is that every disagreement that exists in the public on how we should live and what we should do then becomes another giant political battleground usually fought to a standstill and so people think nothing nothing's changing i think what we need to have is more of the sense that you know the government should not be rather than thinking the government should be more responsible responsive to us i think we should think the government should just simply be less relevant and less involved in every aspect of our life that way this this, this the the entities that we're dealing with whether it's our schools or entertainment or or the businesses we go to etc they're responding those businesses are responding to us directly and it doesn't matter so much what you know we don't have to win an election a national election to get to get the results that we want we can go out and and direct our own lives and cause things to change in our it's own it's an organic own process every day yeah. as opposed yeah. to an event every four years yeah we're all out there voting with our dollars and voting with our individual decisions as to how things should happen and and we could tailor our own experiences you know depending on who we want to deal with and what who we want to shop where we want, we want to shop and, and what television shows we want to watch etc and we don't have to impose that uniformly on everyone i think we've gotten too much in the mode of government should respond to me personally by enacting all of my preferences and then somebody else comes along and says no it should enact, it should respond to me by enacting all of my preferences and we go into these giant knockdown drag out battles amongst each other over you know whose whose personal preferences should be in you know which factions preferences mm-hmm. should be enacted uh, by government and whereas we have a much more peaceful society and one that would be I think more creative and interesting if we said you know what let's let people out in the marketplace respond to your preferences and to the other person's preferences and you know my my the, the culture war these days I think is symptomatic of that because my attitude is my solution to the culture war is that culture wins, that we all go out and say, okay, you want to produce movies that have a certain message, you go do that. And the, the, the other person has movies, wants to create movies that have a completely different message, go out and do that, see who can create the best movies and, we'll, you know, and, and who can get the biggest audience and who can make us laugh or cry or, or you know, want to go see these things and keep the government and the institutions that are going to censor people, keep that all out of it. Well, no argument on that. Robert Cherzinski, we've got a minute left. Give us another thought. Well, you know, I, I think the thing is that, you know, the government actually, uh, the, the, the worst possible answer to all of this is the government is responding to the people. You know, it does respond to us, and we have to sort of rethink what it is we want out of government and educate people about, you know, the need to have not all these decisions being made by the government, but having us be free to, to make our own, each of us to make our own path and to and to make businesses and institutions respond to individuals rather than responding to the government. In other words, get government out of the way so we can live our lives. And and so we can have a great diversity and creative creativity in the society uh, that will that will result in not creating lots of new and interesting things rather than a one size fits all solution imposed from above. Robert, thank you for taking the time to talk with us. It's great to meet you. My pleasure. Thank, nice talking to you. 
All right, Robert Trzinski is from the Atlas Institute, which is a think tank of sorts. I'm sorry, the Atlas Society, a think tank of sorts for uh, Ayn Rand's viewpoint on what individuals are all about and what government should be to allow individuals to live our lives. And it's a fascinating thing how far we've gotten away from that and a tragic thing because we've been plundered. We've been robbed of great wealth and under the guise of them helping us when, in fact, all of their help just hurts. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It's painful, and we've lost huge resources as a result. We're going to pause for a news update. We'll talk more coming up on WTIC. It's Todd Feinberg. It's Todd Feinberg. Monday through Friday, 3 till 6 on WTIC News Talk 1080. WTIC, did you hear that story about Sam Bankman-Fried? The guy we'd never heard of six weeks ago, and, and uh, he was worth a billion dollars six weeks ago. No, billions of dollars. Now he's broke and a criminal, and he's going home to his parents' house. They bailed him out, and he's wearing electronic surveillance. Imagine what the conversation at the dinner table is going to be like with Sam Bankman-Fried returning home. What a story. That's a real American story, isn't it? Joining us now, Kathy Flaherty. You remember Kathy from Connecticut Legal Rights Project. She fights for, argues for, works to get people with mental health problems appropriate treatment from the state mental health system. And I like this dynamic because it shows what government compassion is like. You have to fight to get a drop of it to drip in your direction. Kathy, welcome back. Happy holidays to you. Hope you're ready to rock Christmas. Happy holidays, Todd. I am looking you... forward to the holiday break. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's... I'm very tired, uh, but I am it's... looking forward to the holiday break. It'll be Good. Great. All right, so when we first started talking a few months ago, <laughs> it was... Uh, 
it had something to do with a conversation on Twitter where you said, oh, I'm working. There's all kinds of good legislative changes coming or happening with regard to the state mental health system. So it won't be so cruel moving forward. And, and I thought it'd be good to go back and find out maybe you could focus on, on one or two of those and tell us about what's happening that you're excited about. Sure. I mean, I think one of the things that I just want to say, um, and that I feel that I have to, is there are a lot of people who get what they need from the system as it's currently incorporated. Um, it, but a lot of the people who don't feel like they're getting what they need, those are the people who call us. Um, so there are lots of people who do not call CLRP every year. I just want to put that disclaimer out there. Um, Sorry about that. I do not know why that alarm went off right now. That's all right. Um, we didn't hear it. Oh, good. I'm glad you didn't hear it. I heard it, and it threw me off a bit. But, no, I think one of the 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 interesting things every year is, you know, the legislature ponders and considers, you know, hundreds of bills, and, and many of them make it over the finish line, and, and many of them don't. And they're, they're, I was reminded in a meeting earlier this week, you know, uh, for a lot of people who – like me, probably really thought most of the attention was being paid to kids' mental health, but actually a number of things did happen uh, with relation to adult mental health um, over the last session. And I think one of the things that we have done in Connecticut is that the state was able to designate some of those ARPA funds to get mobile crisis services statewide operating 24-7-365. I think one of the things that we've recognized over, you know, the last several years is that when people are in mental health crisis, calling 911 and having law enforcement arrive doesn't always result in the best outcomes and, in fact, can result in super devastating outcomes for folks. And so if you do have the opportunity for people who do have additional training and experience on dealing with people with mental health conditions, like a mobile crisis team, that can actually result in a better outcome for folks. I think the key part that I would always say is that those should be people with firsthand lived experience of the system themselves and really not trying to force people into treatment and go to a hospital emergency room because that might not be what they really need. Maybe that they need housing or they need Well, it's a, it's a really <laughs> interesting know. dynamic. You know, there's an explosion of uh, mental health problems going on now with young people that simply didn't happen in this kind of proportion just a few years ago. And, and one of the big problems is there's nowhere to go but emergency rooms, it seems. And emergency rooms aren't, or doctor's offices, they really don't know how to deal with these things. Yeah, and I think some of the thing. what I would say is that some of these problems have always existed, but people were not necessarily talking about them quite as much. But there have always been people who, who have faced different challenges. And I think part of the frustration that I feel is that a lot of people look to the medical system for the solution or the fix. And it isn't always a medical problem. Sometimes it is, and sometimes, you know, people have found medications helpful, and I will never fault anyone who does. 
Um, you know, I took psychiatric medication for close to 25 years. Um, didn't always get what I wanted from it, um, but was always searching for the thing that I thought would work. It just turns out that none of them really did for me. Yes, but and if you why- are if you're in mental health crisis like a young person. The New York Times has been doing reporting on this that's been pretty good, I think, and interesting on how new it is that young people are being brought to the doctor with uh, being suicidal or other kinds of mental health crisis in way larger numbers. It's like the, the, the dynamic has shifted, apparently, according to their reporting over the past 15 or 20 years, where they, kids used to get in external kind of trouble, you know, they'd steal a car, they'd get pregnant, they'd whatever. And now it's internal stuff. They're having mental health problems. They can't deal with life or whatever. Who are you going to call except some kind of medical professional? That's a good question, Todd. And I think the thing that I struggle with is I remember how it was for me as a young person and I had issues, but nobody really perceived them as problems because I was able to, despite what was swirling around in my head, perform well at school. And that was my job. And when you're a kid, that's kind of your job. And if you do well in school, everybody thinks things are fine. Exactly. And they always aren't fine. Um, And on the one hand, I'm kind of glad that... I didn't, you know, it, I grew up in the 70s. Nobody actually cared. I sometimes say that I don't <laughs> feel like people cared about kids' mental health in the 70s. Yeah. It's just a matter of survival, um, and we did. Um, and I think what I appreciate is that there is more attention paid to it. We are listening to kids who are saying, look, I'm struggling. I need help. Please help me. My question is, what are we offering them, and is it actually helpful? Is it actually addressing the root issues of what's going on? You're you're saying when a kid, say, alerts their parents to the fact that they're in some kind of mental health crisis, or parents become aware of it, or teachers become aware of it, what is the systemic response? Are you saying that there is a systemic response that is able to respond now that's been better educated or is it that there's this huge influx of demand and very few people who really have answers i think it's more the latter i think that the demand for services and support has increased to a point where the workforce isn't there i mean people and parents have been complaining about the lack of child and adolescent psychologists psychiatrists for as long as i've ever been involved in mental health in Connecticut. And I think that sometimes that's a challenge is because sometimes there are more services and supports available for um, people who are in the public system as opposed to people who are covered by their parents' insurance from a job. And a lot of the providers may be private pay only. So people who are very well-resourced can afford to pay out of pocket for things. People who are very low income may have access to Medicaid-funded providers and and grant-funded programs through the state, but people in that vast middle 
are kind of left trying to navigate uh, a very complicated system. So you're saying there are places to go if you're having a mental health crisis and you're on public-funded health care. And if you're rich, you can get it. But if you're middle class and you can't pay out of pocket, you don't necessarily have coverage either. I think it, what it's, it's much harder to access. And I think that's what a lot of us talk about is people need to have equal opportunities to access these services and supports. Well, this is the problem of a non-market-driven system, I guess. You're always going to have those, uh, those two things be out of sync because bureaucrats are deciding how many of something there should be based on how much money they assign to certain people to be able to get it. And in a normal marketplace, there are incremental changes being made every day that adjust the marketplace to where the demand is going. So you get caught by surprise. I feel like we're caught by surprise right now in this shift that's going on in terms of young people's demand. I don't mean to focus just on that, but but it seems particularly... Uh, acute and strange that we are suddenly unable to provide or we have a system that is not providing for what kids need and they're getting sick mentally as a result of that, it seems. And my response to that would be is what are our systems doing to change themselves so that the kids aren't getting sick, and I yeah. Well, that's a tough thing. one. Systems are anti. <laughs> systems are anti-change by definition. They they like yes, they things are. to uh, to stay the way they are because they don't want to have to work too hard, and and uh, they're not designed in such a way as to feel an input and adjust the product to uh, do a better job. We're talking to Kathy Flaherty, Connecticut Legal Rights Project, CLRP.org. We'll talk more coming up on WTIC. Now, back to the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. Kathy Flaherty here from Connecticut Legal Rights Project. Thank you, Kathy, for taking the time to talk with us. So what happens in your world when you see a problem pop up, like you're aware of the fact that that uh, the system isn't responsive to everyone's needs, and there, there are big chunks of people who don't get serviced. You're saying people in the middle have trouble accessing mental health care. What do you see coming down the pike to help with that, or what are you doing to help with that? Well, I, two things, because I think they're very different. Um, in terms of system-wide things, I think one of the things that you're seeing is a lot of work being done you know, both at the state and the national level to provide pathways for workforce development, get more people interested in getting um, involved in these fields, you know, getting the credentials that are necessary. I think one of the fantastic things that we're seeing in a lot of places is the use of people with that firsthand lived experience. They're sometimes referred to as peer support specialist or recovery support specialist. And I think one of the things that you find is that when people who have literally walked the walk and aren't just talking the talk, but have had that experience and know what it's like to go through it. You're talking about people like you being available to help people who've, who've been inside the system as customers of the system and can talk to those who are struggling to make the system work for them. I think so. I mean, you see there are lots of different 
peer support groups around the state, and we're talking now at this point about adults more than more than youth, but I think when you have that opportunity to gather in community with people who have been there, there's just something about that interaction that is not, you just don't get from dealing with a person who's purely a professional, because I think there's just that opportunity to share experiences, to learn from each other, and to support each other. So you see that in, you know, groups like Alternative to Suicide Support Groups, the Hearing Voices Network, the NAMI Connection Recovery Support Groups. It's people. Are these nonprofits that you're talking about? Um, They are run and organized by nonprofits, but you also see a lot of, and I think some of the most exciting work is really being done by purely mutual aid type groups. Um, and things like, we don't have it here in Connecticut, but a program called Project Let's and another one called the Fireweed Collective, where it really is just literally people gathering together because they're realizing that the system has hurt them rather than help them, and they want to be able to prevent that from happening for other people. That's why we are pushing so hard in Connecticut for what we call peer-run respite, which is a program that's voluntary but run by people with lived experience for people uh, going through crisis to provide that opportunity for community. All right, Kathy Flaherty, anything else you want us to know? We've got a minute left. I'm just wishing all your listeners a happy and healthy holiday, um, and we'll see folks in the new year. Have a great Christmas. Go do some Christmas shopping, buy somebody a present, okay? That sounds like a plan. (laughs) All right, Kathy Flaherty from Connecticut Legal Rights Project. I like talking about the mental health system because it's a system of the government. And it's supposed to help people, like most of their systems claim to do. But if you listen, you know, I'm, I'm a student of, um, of government and politics and how it fails us. And I think, I think these systems fail us because they're government systems. And by definition, they are top-down in the way they approach things. And the more we dive into, whether it's prison or mental health or whatever wing of the government the the motivation for the system day to day has to do with the needs of those who operate the system and work inside of it this is just i think the the uh, political science of, of of the physics of government that it's hard for people who are being served by the system in theory to actually get service from the system And if you listen to Kathy talk and others in similar conversations, it's all about how do you get the system to become conscious of its failings and to compensate for those failings, just like what happened invisibly in a market. You know, in the market, when you're going out to dinner, you don't generally have to strive to find a restaurant that's doing the new thing. Restaurants want to be doing the new thing because they know they can get customers that way. But a government-run system doesn't want the new thing. It just hasn't heard about the new thing. Why would it? They're busy just trying to pound out the widgets of what they do every day. It's fascinating to me. 860 522 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 